city heart be flutter with stuttering sounds. Gutter music for silver lining clouds tumbling down. Town we breathe in memory. Welcome to another episode of Working Class Heroes, a radio show about working class culture and politics. We are based in what's currently occupied Lenape land, otherwise known as New York City. My name is Lupita Romero, and I'm your host for tonight. I'm very excited to introduce this very special episode. Our correspondent for tonight, Khadija, is going to be speaking with Mansour Adefi, a former Guantanamo Bay detention camp detainee and the author of the forthcoming book, Don't Forget Us Here, about his experiences at Guantanamo. Also joining us is Dr. Maha Hilal, who is the co-director of Justice for Muslims Collective also an organizer with Witness Against Torture, and a council member of School of the Americas Watch. Because of logistical issues, we had to pre-record this conversation. So instead of our usual live interview and discussion, we're going to be sharing an in-depth interview about Guantanamo-based prison, and specifically, Mansour's incredible testimony in four different parts. Unfortunately, that means that we're not going to be taking calls tonight but if you have any questions about Guantanamo Bay, Mansour's experience, or the campaigns to shut it down, you can definitely hit us up on social media and we'll get back to you. Before we get to that interview, I want to take a second to let you, our listeners and supporters, know that we're going to be taking a quick break from the FM airwaves, and this will be our last episode for a couple of months. If you've been listening to us, you know that we started this radio show on WBAI in April of 2020, at the very beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. And we knew then that we had to use this platform to cover all of the issues this crisis has had on working class New Yorkers. That is why we named this our first season, Class War and COVID-19. So now a full year later and 32 amazing episodes in, it only felt right that we close out this year by taking some time to reflect on what we've been able to do, what's been working, and what's next for our crew. We've been able to cover so many issues this year, from healthcare to evictions, to workplace safety conditions, as well as conditions in prisons, ICE detention centers, and the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement in the beginning of the summer. We will continue to be out in the streets documenting and covering all of these working class issues. So while we're on break, you can catch us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Working Class Heroes Radio. Or you can go to our website, wchradio.org, to sign up for our newsletter. I'll have a few more words to say about everything at the end of the show. But right now, we're going to take a quick music break and then come back with our interview with Mansour Adefi and Maha Hilal. Stick around. Running backwards, I keep on losing faith. I thought I had the answers, I thought I knew the way. My brother said be patient, my mother held my hand. I don't know what I'm chasing, I don't know who I am. Woke up this morning holding my head. Thinking last night is one I'll regret Washing off the bad decisions The blurry vision The clues that I'm still a mess Spitting out the taste I have in my mouth Knowing what this all is really about Knowing there's 
there's an explanation, an expiration. I gotta figure it out. And they're asking me if I can't see the darkness down below. And I know it's true, I say I do. What you just heard was Making It Up As I Go by Mike Shinoda featuring Kefe. You're listening to Working Class Heroes Radio on WBAI 99.5 FM. Also streaming on WBAI.org and via podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, and iTunes, where you can also check out all of our previous episodes. Now, let's turn things over to Khadija. Good evening, everyone. My name is Khadija Metter. I'm happy to be here with you to bring you this week's interview. I'd like to um, in- introduce the guests that we have here today. Um, our first guest is Mansoor Adaifi. Mansoor was just 19 was when he was taken to Guantanamo Bay, where he spent over 14 years detained without being charged with a crime. Um, he now lives in Belgrade, Serbia, where he writes, creates artwork, and advocates for prisoner and detainee rights. And I wanted to especially thank you, um, Brother Mansour, because I know there's a little bit of a time difference uh, in Serbia and it's quite late for you. So we, we truly appreciate it. Um, our next guest is Dr. Maha Hilal. For starters, um, I'll say that Dr. Hilal, your bio is lengthy and I did have to cut much of it out because we're on radio and stressed for time, but um, Dr. Hilal is, a co- is the co-director of the Justice for Muslims Collective, an organizer with Witness Against Torture and a council member of School of the Americas Watch. Um, Dr. Hilal earned her doctorate in 2014 from the Department of Justice, Law and Society at American University. Dr. Hilal leads JMT's political education and narrative shifting programming. And I'll actually add that the title of her dissertation um, which I always remember um, was too damn Muslim to be trusted, the war on terror and the Muslim American response, um, which honestly, I would love to do a show just on that topic. Um, and I think in general, it's safe to say that you've really dedicated your life to understanding and fighting institutionalized um, Islamophobia. If you each want to add to your introductions or just say hi one by one, um, that would be a great way for our listeners to distinguish each of your voices. And we'll start with you, uh, Mansoor. Hey, hi everyone. Maha, welcome. Thank you for being on our program today. Good evening, everyone, and thank you, Khadija, for the interview and for Mansoor for being here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so we're we're gonna get started. Um, I did want to direct the first question actually um, to Dr. Hilal. Um, we wanted to just introduce the topic of Guantanamo. We know we've heard the name in the news since you know we were young, but um, can you tell us what is it? Where is Guantanamo? Um, how did it get established as a site of essentially extrajudicial detention? Well, thank you again um, for having me on the show. Um, you know, so the story of Guantanamo obviously goes back to 2002, January 11th, 2002. Um, but obviously prior to that, um, we had the 9-11 attacks in 2001. And almost immediately, 
the Bush administration started ushering in, um, you know, a series of laws and policies that were quite outside of, you know, the rule of the, of law and quite outside what had been, um, you know, considered democratic norms and ideals, uh, for example, use of torture. Um, and so Guantanamo was sort of the earliest, one of the earliest manifestations of the war on terror. Obviously, before that in November is when um, Bush gave the authority to CIA to um, capture and torture people in their own black sites, which had been something that, you know, had not happened before. Prior to 9-11, um, people were rendered to other countries and tortured, um, but this time it was an exception because they were actually um, holding them in sites themselves. So Guantanamo was opened again on January 11th, 2002. Um, prior to its opening, um, senior administration officials seeking to figure out like where are we going to house these people that were so-called unlawful enemy combatants. You know, we're considering um, you know multiple locations, um, and one of the reasons they specifically picked Guantanamo is because of the legacy of having imprisoned Haitians and um, Cubans and basically knowing that there hadn't been sort of a legal structure and that the people that had been housed there before um, were not were effectively deemed rightless. They had no rights. And so similarly, the administration um, concluded and believed that if we put these people in Guantanamo, they will similarly not have any rights. And obviously that was buttressed by the fact that um, the Bush administration also decided to um, label the men who ended up in Guantanamo as unlawful enemy combatants, which effectively stripped them of Geneva Convention rights. Um, and, and obviously that, you know, there's a lot we could say about that in terms of how explicitly um, the US government was trying to exclude the men that were in Guantanamo from having any semblance of rights. I think, you know, one of the important things um, to say here is just that, you know, there have been multiple court cases based on the question of whether or not Guantanamo prisoners have rights in the federal court system, right? Do we have the right to challenge our detention? And the court has repeatedly ruled that yes, the men detained at Guantanamo do in fact have rights. Now, the court ruling that is different than it actually being practiced or actually being in applications. So it's very problematic, right, to um, you know strip people of their rights, make them believe that they have rights in some capacity because of the court decisions. And then, effectively come back full circle to say that they don't have any rights because they still continue to be detained. And when they are released, it's not actually on the basis that they're you know, innocent. It's on the basis that they pose a low risk to the United States. Yeah, that's, you know, I, and I've heard you speak about this before and just every time it's, it's um, just horrific, just the existence, right, of, of Guantanamo itself. Um, but Brother Monsoor, I wanted to shift over to you and just to ask you now that we know a little bit about, um, you know, the site itself, um, who is there, what are the ages and nationalities of the people there, and, and generally how uh, have they ended up there? Uh, thank you, Khadija, and thank you, everyone. I would like to, welc to welcome you, and thank you for uh, having me today. And actually, this is an, an important uh, uh, program you do. It is like, it's one of the... Uh, this the outlet that give freedom to the voiceless people. So about Guantanamo, as you know, like Guantanamo was the birth of the aftermath of the 9-11, which is, it was, I will start by saying that the men who were, who were at Guantanamo, they were like around, around uh, 
800 men, we can say seven, eight exactly, and uh, 50 nationalities, 20 languages. There was all kind of men there, teachers, doctors, professors, scholars, mafia, bosses, spies, all kind of people. Those people, most of the people, as the ACLU said, they were either like sold by for bounty money or were, were, were brought from mistaken identity. Most of the people there, actually they said like 86% of the people who end up there. And even Darumsfeld himself said, most of the people who did in Guantanamo are uh, dirt farmers. This is, this is the reality, the fact. So when you talk about them, like when you talk about age, age range between like a couple of months old until 105 years old, these are the people who end up there. So I can tell you like 99.5% weren't in the front line, weren't holding, weren't holding the guns. You know, the CIA used to throw millions and millions of dollars, especially if you read the book of the Pervis Musharraf, who was the prime minister at that time for Pakistan. He has a book called in the front of fire, in the front line of fire, he mentioned that he received hundreds of millions of dollars to sold Arabs and others. So it was, the matter was of selling people and it was turned to be a business as it is now, the war in terror, it is just another way to make money and business. So let's back to Guantanamo. Those people were from, they were, uh, uh, people were sold to the CIA in Pakistan in, in Afghanistan, from Iran, from UAE, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, from Africa, from Bosnia, from Mauritania, Jordan, all the countries were just giving people to the uh, to the CIA and them there. Some of them were tortured on the black side. Some of them end up losing their lives in the black sides. Some of them lost their minds actually. So, and some of them end up tortured in in uh, in, Pagram, in Bagram in um, in Kandahar. It was like. It was a mess, a big, a big mess. So this is the people who was there. And, you know, unfortunately the media presented the people as an orange jumpsuit, as soon as, soon as you were the orange color, that's that you are thirst. So. Yeah, ab absolutely. And, and, you know, as someone who grew up here, I can unfortunately, you know, remember a lot of these portrayals and can confirm that for sure. That's, that's the image that we were given. Um, I, I wanted to shift more to um, talking about your story. Um, if you can tell us about yourself, how you ended up there. Um, do you remember the, the day you were taken and, and your first uh, day in Guantanamo? Uh, Khadija, you know, uh, <laughs> I was only, uh, I was yeah, just 19 years old. So just like many, many uh, of others, I was sold to the CIA for bounty money, and I was accused to be a middle-aged uh, Egyptian general. I was tortured at the black site, tried to get actionable, actionable uh, intelligence, asked me some crazy question where we have, have no idea what, what they were talking about. Three months, it was like the worst like, month of my time of my life. That way I can tell you, it's the worst time of my life there. I like, I just, sometime I went, uh, <laughs> You know, this point of my life, I couldn't, I couldn't even like try, I couldn't move on with when I remember like what happened there. Then when they figure out I'm not the person who was looking for, they threw me to Kandahar, then shipped to Guantanamo, where I turned like 19 years old. So the first time when I arrived there, it was a long, long journey. 
they put a sign on uh, on me like uh, call uh, hit me or beat me so some of us get beating all the way when we arrive there they have like something called the process station where they hose you strip you naked they have like soldiers holding like those long brooms and maps cleaning away then drag you to to cage when i arrived there i looked around like am i dead i'm in hell like Soldiers screaming at you, no talking, no standing, don't look at me, no, no, everything is not like. If you fail to, like, because at that time, like, we didn't speak the language. So the response was like, what right first, they came to beat you, hit you. When I raised my, my, my head looking around me, I saw ocean of orange jumpsuit people. All of them, we were all shaved. Uh, our face poses with uh, swelling with poses and beating like so it just why I'm here until when what I have done what's the place who are these people it just like the men who brought there they have no connection whatsoever to each other so like what's going on here like I spent a few weeks trying to figure out like imagine just all the people end up in the one place at the same time. They have no history, no life together, no connection to each other, and you are being you are being taken. You didn't know where we didn't know where we were. Like we spent almost like three months trying to figure out where we were. Like where? Like only some said India, Oman, Bahrain, wherever. Like we didn't know. We didn't know. So this is the first when we were, the first day was like the first weeks and once was tough because soldiers were full of hate and garage because they were told the one who came in, who did 9-11 they were here and like me i never saw a building in my life more than 15 floor i had no idea whatsoever i never i never watched 9-11 until like 2010 when i moved to the camel living so why i'm here what i have done so imagine like 19 years old being questioned to be Al-Qaeda general, what you are not, but you have to admit it because you are going to be tortured over and over again. So the first day was also one of the worst thing was they they stripped everything away of you, like your humanity, your humanity, what makes you who you are as a person, as a human being was taken from you, your freedom, just you're not allowed to talk, stand, to pray. You're not allowed like to do anything, even sleeping, like it just, Everything is taken away from you. What makes you as a person, as a human? Like it was, you know, I had my one of my neighbors, he was uh, from Denmark. He told me it will be fine. We are in the hand of Americans. He he believed in that. He said things, you know, those believe in democracy and human rights. But Guantanamo proved him wrong. We're gonna take a short musical break and then come back with more of this interview with Mansoura Defi and Dr. Maha Hilal. Stick around.
emancipated But allegedly everyone got a chance to make it So many shades on his canvas and faces We take a knee just to stand for a nation Face it, the 45th is a racist Still ain't nothing civil about the civilization Need a revolution for restitution After that, we can talk reparations The people, the government could never see a covenant All sinking on the same mothership I'm from Where the citizens loot in the police Get police permission to shoot This is the truth How much does America cost? How Columbus discover a land that really never was lost? And how we pledge into a flag that never was ours? Could use a laugh, where's Kevin Hart? My God by Fashan. You're listening to Working Class Heroes Radio on WBAI 99.5 FM, also streaming on WBAI.org. Um, and, and you brought this up a little bit, but uh, you know, I wanted to add, um, so basically you have this whole off-site unaccountable prison um, with guards that you said are told, that are told that you all are the worst of the worst with, you know, which you know, we know that you all were essentially the targets of this huge political theater, like this political game that was being played with uh, with your lives. Um, and we know that there have been reports, uh, like like you just said, being denied the right to prayer, but um, reports of Islamophobia by guards, um, as well as torture and everything. Um, yeah, can you speak a little bit more to, in particular, like, you know, you were denied the right to play pray, but um, some similar things that went on. Like, as you know, there was no rules to whatever they can do to you. You have no rights, absolutely. So even at that time, they there was a conflict even between two generals who, who like, one of the generals was fighting that we should be treated according to the Geneva Convention, but the others know, they said they are here for information. Like, that would could save lives. So... Basically, when you to see the, the, the process of the session from the beginning, the CIA were collecting people, any suspect people, anyone like suspect like, and shipped them to Guantanamo. Guantanamo, the people there were served the files and and they were looking for searching for some sort of information. They were asking about nuclear nuclear bombs, Sam Laden, whatever. It just like, what what are you talking about? And everyone treats you as like you are you are the worst of the worst, you are a professional killer. It just like so most of the guards like driven by hate and grudge and you know like you're looking at your enemy who would like who would never hesitate to kill you like at for spirit of the second that what they believed so uh, basically as i told you you have no rights you cannot pray even if we like one of the first the first the first hunger strike we did there, we tried to resist our uh, the mistreatment and the abuse was because the prayer, the prayers, because you're not allowed to cover, you're not allowed to cover yourself when you use the toilet, you're not allowed nothing. I mean, the matter was they tried to keep you uh, unsettled so they can like you already the interrogation, you like they break you easily. And anytime any guard said anything, it's the rules. I remember one of the things one of the brothers tried to pray and to cover himself, to cover his head. And the guard went inside and they beat him and tried to, to take the towel. That was the uh, 
you know, like triggered, triggered the, the hunger strike. Plus the way they handled the holy Quran, they used to hit, uh, kick it through with, you know, like search it and through it across the intentionally. And we had, we had protests. We talked to the, to the soldiers, we took the ICRC, but as long as it hit, it hurts you, it bothers you, they keep do, they keep doing over and over again. So also after like many years, still the same thing, even the guards who used to come to work at Guantanamo as rotation, they used to take them to the to the ground zero on the 911, uh, the site of 911, and told them the one who did that at Guantanamo. Imagine you are being as like 19, 20, 21, and being told the one who did that down there at Guantanamo. So it, it you know, those guards also tried to to seek some. Some of them tried to seek revenge. Some of them were conflicted because they found out it's not the truth that what they told about us. Because if they are killers and terrorists, as you said, they live with us for some time, six months or, or one year. Some of the guards didn't believe what the government told them because what they saw, it doesn't match the reality. Simple as that. And you cannot fool everyone. Thank you. Um, we do need to take a quick music break. Um, so stick around with us. Um, you're listening to Working Class Heroes Radio on WBAI 99.5 FM, also streaming on WBAI.org. <laughs> That was Sauf Nabka Huna, a traditional Yemeni song sung here by Rami Muhammad. You're listening to Working Class Heroes Radio on WBAI 99.5 FM, also streaming on WBAI.org. Um, Brother Mansour, I know you were talking a little bit about um, a few different things, including just all the ways the guards were denying your humanity, your right to uh, practice Islam, all of these different things. Um, and I know you brought up uh, the hunger strike that you were talking about, but if you can tell us a little bit more about um, how you yourself uh, what were able to keep your humanity and faith and how you all collectively were able to do that, um, you know, in a place that was built to deny you your humanity. You know, like uh, Khadija and the, at the place, <clears throat> we had to start, we had to, we had to uh, stood up to fight back, to resist, to demand because keeping silence, it just, you are accomplice with your captive, with your uh, oppressor. So I, that's what I believe, like keeping silent, it just you are helping to oppress you. 
So we started fighting back demanding. They they allow you to pray when they way when they want the way they want. And this is not freedom. This is not freedom at all. I mean, like when you tell someone like I give you, I, I let you pray, like it's, it's my generosity. So and there was like uh, like to be clear, there was like a chaplain, but he had no, no nothing to say. Like I told him, like, we need to pray, we need to be able to watch. And like one of the things, like as Muslims, as Arabs, they used to like force us to go to the shower naked. So no, we cannot do that. We have to fight for for the basic for, for human rights, like as I, as I told you. So keeping our humanity was, you know, we have as Muslims, we have faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this, secondly, we had to resist, we had to fight back, we have to keep them. And not all of us, many of us stood, some of us were afraid, some couldn't do anything, some some like lost as like different people have different reaction. So we, we still like, we kept as, you know, one of the things that helped us to survive there and to keep our humanity, uh, the brotherhood and the friendship with each other. And also at the same time, we didn't want to either like to be like them or, but at the same time, now you have to, there's something you have to fight. But also Khadija, one of the things they tried, they tried to extract the worst of us. If you come, if you do nothing, they try to always to provoke you, always try to make something that you react. Like they wanted that. They tried to, to, to create some kind of conflict between detainees and guards. So the blacks keep in chaos and to get the reason to punish and to, and to tell the, the world, look how, they, how, how these people behave here. We weren't. But if your humanity, your religion, your belief, your value, everything being, being like taken away, stayed in, what are you going to do? Like until when? Plus at the same time, at the, at the Guantanamo, we were totally disconnected to the world. We didn't, we had no idea what's going on there. And we didn't know what's going to happen to us until when. So we we tried, you know, like it, it took a process how to survive. One of the things was the hunger strike, tried to resist. And they accused us that we are launching jihad, holy jihad against the United States. Imagine like, guys, we are putting for the simplest thing. No, you have no rights here. That's it. And like. If you resist, like you are like, if you resist, if you don't think, oh, he's announcing jazz against it. You like, you want to kill Americans. You want to like, you are, you hate democracy. One of the things I was like, after, after, uh, sorry, after the Arab Spring, I, when, when I was brought to my PRP, uh, periodic review board in 2015, I was talking to one of the, my uh, personal representative. I said, you know, as Muslims, being a Muslim in, in your eyes, it's just, it's, it's an accusation. People, some people are afraid to say I'm a Muslim. People are afraid to have like beard. people. And why? When you look to the, to the reality, if you, if you open the map in front of you and look, we are being killed. Our country is being devastated. Wars, famine, you name it, you name it. And we are being accused to be a terrorist. Plus, I told him like, look at the revolution in Arab Spring. People didn't come ask for call for jihad. They didn't call for killing uh, Americans or worse. Didn't call for Khilafah or Al-Qaeda or Saudi Laden. People call for this. They want democracy. They want human rights. They want to have freedom to be like. But they were betrayed by the same people they were called, you know, because those dictators have good relationship with those uh, countries 
So they end up now suffering in Yemen, in Syria, Iraq, and others. This is the fact, this is the reality. I do want to talk about the fight to close Guantanamo. I know yourself and some others have written a letter to Biden. If you can tell me a little bit more about that letter and what the prospects for getting Guantanamo closed um, are looking like. Like, as I said, I feel like there was 780 men were detained there. Around now, when we can say, like still 40 brothers still uh, detained at Guantanamo. Ha some of them has been created in 2009. And closing, we started the fight to close Guantanamo started into, uh, when we closing, we start fighting to close Guantanamo for the moment we arrived there. This is the fact, because this, we, we, as I told you, we we didn't accept to be treated that way. We didn't accept to be detained that way. We didn't. We refused our friend to be taken away like that. So we and we kept we kept doing so. So for the fight, like after Guantanamo, uh, some brothers and I, we kept we are we we keep campaigning. We keep doing what we can do, like social media, writing, interviewing, and so on. And we try to reframe the conversation about Guantanamo and about the men who went there we tried to be to we tried to bring you know like to to change the idea of of the people who were who were at Guantanamo because and and try to uh, to bring the humanity of the people who, who were there and when you look now most of us like we're we're released without any charges some of us you have no idea we're going to be sent you have no say we're going to be sent so it's a big mess so it is our duty to keep fighting to close guantanamo because guantanamo becomes a symbol of torture a symbol of uh injustice a symbol of indefinite detention which you like it, it never happened in the united states history that people kept indefinitely for 20 years now people lost people lost their lives there you know, families destroyed, not just even, even our life after Guantanamo, we still live in the lingering stigma, like the second Guantanamo. So it is our duty now to keep fighting to uh, our brothers to release and to close this place because Guantanamo now is everywhere. China has their own Guantanamo. French government a few months ago, some officials, they were calling to have like a policy like Guantanamo. Saudis, they have their own Guantanamo. Emirates, they have own Guantanamo. Egypt, Egypt, they have all, all their own Guantanamo. Why? Because the United States allowed. So Obama failed to close Guantanamo. He could have done it, but he wasn't serious about it. And we hope that Biden is going to do it because it's time. And, you know, it's not about safety or security or nothing. Trust me. It's a waste of money, a waste. It's also violation of the human right, violation of the basic of the the United States uh, belief on the founder, father who founded the United States on. And one of the lawyers they fight because it's, it's against any principle because keeping people indefinitely, torturing them. I mean, what's the purpose? Until when, like, do you think Guantanamo makes uh, makes uh, American people safe, more secure? No, it's not. It's a waste of money. Imagine, like, when Trump was in uh, in office, he spent uh, like two billion dollar on Guantanamo, a lot of money, and every year he spent five hundred million dollar. I'm not talking about them. Also, the freedom, the life is lost there, and the people who are still there. And Guantanamo should be closed for long, long, long time ago. And we will keep the fight. We will keep 
until Guantanamo uh, closed and people released. And we can say if anyone is charged or accused with anything, there is a there is a uh, justice system. Put them in the court, charge them. It's fair. Exactly. Like it's, it's only fair. You know, if I have if American believe that I haven't committed any crime against any Americans, I am ready to be to go to the court. I am ready to be wherever. But to take 15 years of my life for what? Or others. Maha, I just wanted to pose the same question question to you. Um, you know, can you add your thoughts on what you think the prospects are for getting Guantanamo closed, and you know, just overall, uh, yeah, where 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 it's looking like right now? You know, I think there's a higher chance of Biden closing Guantanamo at this point. Um, you know, apparently he was eager to close the prison when he was uh, working under former President Obama. So, you know, hopefully that will carry on into his administration. Um, I, you know, I, I do think the way that the whole discussion though has been framed as sort of like ending or closing Guantanamo is sort of the end point, which it's not, right? Um, because as Mansoor said, there's been 780 men who were detained at Guantanamo, which means that there have been 740 released because there's 40 left. Um, and so I think to some extent, like when you just talk about closing Guantanamo, it makes it seem as though, right, the problem is gonna end there. Um, that said, you know, although I do think Biden wants to close Guantanamo, I, I actually don't really have a good sense of what that looks like. Um, you know, again, under the Obama administration, when um, they were going to try to do some federal prosecutions, there was backlash and they backed out of that. Um, and you know, with the NDAA, the National Defense Authorization Act, subsequent acts like from 2010 till now, um, there continues to be like regulations about um, transferring the prisoners and whether or not money can be spent to transfer the prisoners. So it continues to be sort of a legal barrier. I mean, obviously Biden could to some extent act on his own, but because of the amount of, um, you know, capital, political capital that this issue she requires. I don't think that that's necessarily going to be the avenue that he takes. So I do think, you know, as organizers and activists and scholars outside of Guantanamo, it's important to keep putting pressure on closing the prison. I think we can do also a lot in terms of the narratives we use, you know, like people will say that Guantanamo is a stain on um, the history of the United States. I mean, that's not really a stain because there's nothing left in this country that hasn't been a stain. So I don't think you'd see this separately. Um, and I think also, you know, the way that Guantanamo has been treated as an exception to the U.S.'s carceral state, I think has also been problematic because if we, you know, think about them, think about the of Guantanamo being connected to detention domestically um, and also CIA detention, right? Like all the ways that the U.S. is carceral state is emboldened, I think that that will actually help um, close Guantanamo as well, because then we have sort of the expertise and the background and the work of mass, you know, anti uh, activists who are doing mass incarceration work domestically. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping Biden will do the right thing. But also, I think, um, just to end, the right thing will also include, you know, making sure when you know, men are like resettled as like uh, Mansour is in, in Serbia, right? Like that's not the ideal place, right? Um, and Mansour can talk about that. Um, but like, where are these, where are these men being resettled? Um, my understanding is in, in most cases, they don't actually know the conditions. 
that um, and that what what is actually in the settlement between the United States and the host country or their own country. Um, so it's it's really unclear, and they can't really rebuild their lives in the way that they would obviously want to. So you know, I think after we hopefully get past the hurdle of closing Guantanamo, then and even now, you know, we need to still push to think about like this is not over until it's over, and it's not going to be over for a long time. We're going to take a quick music break and then come back to hear more from Mansoor and Maha. just heard was No Tengo Nada by Vicentico. You're listening to Working Class Heroes Radio on WBAI 99.5 FM. We're also streaming on WBAI.org. And now to bring you the final part of Khadija's interview with Mansura Defi and Maha. Brother Mansura, I did want to give you time to talk about your book and everything, but Maha has also brought up, you know, the, the fact that you're in Serbia and, and You've been a release. I did want to give you a little bit of time for us to talk about what life is like for you now um, and what some of your challenges are. Like, uh, you know, Khadija, when I was released, I had no choice, literally. They told me, either leave or you're going to stay out to Guantanamo. Then they told me, now they issued the new uh, rules, which is if anyone accepted by, by any country, he will be forced to leave. You have no choice, actually. So, like, I was laughing. I'm not at home. I'm not leaving. Time in the chair. Me in the airplane, threw me the airport. Simple as that. Some of the brother who was released, they were released to jail, and you know, like they still in jail until they, they to even treated worse. There, they were treating Guantanamo and, and Bagram. Like uh, there was like brothers, twenty three brothers released to uh, UA, uh, to United Arab Emirates, and they still in jail since 2015-16, and. No, no family visits, they're not allowed to talk to lawyers, and no any organization can contact them. For Afghanis were released like last year, when they talk about the conditions there, they said, we would we request to go back to Guantanamo. One of them, he said, I was, I had been uh, present by the Soviet Union during the war in Afghanistan in the 1980s. I had been uh, president in Bagram in Guantanamo. The worst thing is in the UAE, where he like treated, uh, UAE, like United Arab Emirates, where he was treated worse than Guantanamo. He took like, I was, now there is like still 18 men detained there. We have, we try, we have been trying to, to reach them to know about where, how they've been treated. And we know it's like worse. Some of them, two of them already lost their mind totally. Uh, 
and we couldn't do anything to help. This is sad. One of the other brothers just died uh, last week, Lotfi from Tunisia. He died, he, you know, he was uh, relocated in uh, Kazakhstan, but Kazakhstan after uh, five months rejected them. They said he had to leave. Then he were, he were resettled in Mauritania. Since he arrived there, he he need to he had like uh, heart disease. He, he had like he needed urgent uh, surgery, but he was denied to have a travel document to go back his to his own, his, his own uh, home country to uh, Tunis. They knew he had limited time. He didn't he didn't have much, but nobody cares to provide him with a travel document. Here in Serbia again, same thing. When I got here, they told me you are a threat to our country. You have no right. And again, we have to struggle and suffer our life after Guantanamo because when Trump came to uh, to presidency, he closed the office that was instead department was like responsible for least least detainees. So again, like you live in uncertainty. You don't know what's going to happen to you until when you know, like we would like to go to where we can build our life, start a family, and live like normal people. But if you throw us in a country that treats us like tourists or treats us like a threat, how we can we integrate into society? How we can we survive? How we can we build our our life? Struggle like for the last for me for the last four years and have I have been struggling a lot. I'm trying to stay to survive, but there is a lot of struggle. I'm trying to, you know, to stay strong. But you need to me, I haven't even met my family until that day. I'm not able to communicate with my family anymore because the war in Yemen again is worse and so on. So that's one of the, one of the problems like uh, facing us after life after Guantanamo. Not just me. There's like other brothers who struggle too. I mean, for for for, for uh, so. Yeah, um, I know uh, Maha just wanted to add something real quick, closing Guantanamo. Maha, if you wanted to go ahead. Uh, yeah, just to piggyback on something that Mansour mentioned briefly, um, there was a special envoy for the closure of Guantanamo under Obama, um, and Trump cut that position. And interestingly, um, even so, uh, you know, when I've I've done a lot of research, obviously, in Guantanamo, and um, I'm not sure which which envoy said this, but basically, the envoy said uh, was complaining about how hard it was to to resettle these men because of the stigma of being a terrorist as if the United States had nothing to do with constructing that image of, of the men. Um, and so, you know, in addition to the U.S. having should having the responsibility to actually close the prison and resettle the men, they are the ones who should begin deconstructing the terrible tropes and stereotypes that they've constructed about the men. Absolutely, yeah. I wanted to ask uh, Mansoor now, uh, can you tell us what you're working on? Um, I know you have a book coming out, um, just if you want to talk to us about that. I, I don't know if you noticed, we actually um, named the episode after uh, your book, just because it, it was really powerful, of course. Um, so please uh, go ahead and tell us about it and let us know what else is in store for you. Yes, before I, I dive to my book, I would like to say something about the lingering stigma we live in. It is just, it's worse, it's bad as Guantanamo, because as soon as the people figure out that we're in Guantanamo, they will like, you know, there is something behind you. At least uh, you cannot get married. Uh, people, even the people who, uh, people afraid of their own countries, they don't have any relationship with you. They want, they like, maybe they like you, they respect you, but they said, look, 
we are afraid, you know, the country, you know, the police and the secret service. This one of the things we we struggle uh, with every time. Even one of the one of the funny things, it's not funny, it's bad. The World Czech Organization, they pull all the Guantanamo detainees' names and they put them in the blacklist. So imagine our what it's just unbelievable. Like they like now there is many uh, uh, companies, banks, airports, many many countries who has contract with the World Check, where they our names in the terrorists in the blacklist for what? Now some of the brothers started uh, trying to sue the the World Check or try to settle them the matter to remove their names, and it's crazy. It's just you know. We will turn our case into profit. So, okay, let's dive to the, bo the book. It's called, you know, the book of story is a unique story. I wrote the book at Guantanamo. I wrote it twice. The first time it was taken by the FBI and they, they refused to get back in 2013, like when they sh shut down the, the criminal living. Then I wrote it in 2015 to my lawyer as letters. I wrote it while in the, in the classroom while shackled and chained to the ground. And every week I would send like a bunch of uh, letters through the legal mail, the way I get it out. So uh, the book called, it, the initially the book was titled uh, Moment from Guantanamo. Then we don't like, don't forget us here. Uh, I think it is an important and unique book, not because I wrote it, because it's the only book that covers 15 years of Guantanamo life. Uh, it's not a personal story. It's like, it's Guantanamo story. It is about the dark age between 2002 until 2010, then the golden age. They wrote the book about uh, my brothers, guards, camp staff, about even the animals there, iguanas, cats, birds. It's about life, love, brotherhood, friendship, betrayal, about art, about, uh, about everything, about the relationship between detainees and guards, about the life that were at Guantanamo. It's not just about the torture, about the orange color, about the, no, it's not like, it's mostly about the life that were there. I tried to show the people, the, the world, that there was a life there. There was love, life, hope. It's just a normal life. So, uh, and as I told you, it's the only book that covered 15 years I tried we have been working so hard for the last two years and finally it's coming out soon. And uh, I hope that you guys can read it. I'm sure you will like it. So another project I am working on, uh, we work on the TV show with the Sundance Institute. It's based on the, based on the book. It's called From Guantanamo with Love. And uh, I also, I wrote another book which is uh, Art from Guantanamo. Because when I was writing my memo, my book, like I, I found that art from Guantanamo need to have its own story because it's one of the amazing stories about Guantanamo, how art started. It's it's not just art, Khadija. There was a lot. I mean, when you talk about art from Guantanamo, imagine 15 nationalities, 20 languages arrive at Guantanamo. They have their own song, their own dance, their own uh, poems and poetry. So. I remember like when we had one night celebration in the week, which interrogator and guard hated. <laughs> in the block, there are like 48 detainees. You can hear, you can see people sing in Arabic, in English, in French, in Pashto, in Russia, in Farsi. It just, and you can like have different poems. Everyone like, it's so amazing that like, and that, that kind of, 
melt in one, one culture, we call it Guantanamo culture, which I wrote an article about called the beautiful Guantanamo. It become like one culture, like we call it Guantanamo song, Guantanamo dance, Guantanamo language, Guantanamo, you know, you can hear a song composed of different languages, words mixing. We, we understood because we with each other, we understood the the mix, how mix like, so, so beautiful, like. Even like our, uh, the dancing from Pashto, from Yemen, from Saudi Arabia, from uh, mixed together, like detainees and guards also, they were, they were like composing poems and uh, rap at the same time. Trust me, it was, it was crazy. So like one thing it has it uh, with the time 15, it has it, uh, it's, its own culture. Also like songs, there's also a book about poems from Guantanamo. So I put just a book, a separate book about uh, art from Guantanamo, like as I told you, it's one of the amazing stories, it's, it's the love stories between a detainee and the guard and how, how he's write, write uh, poems about her. He used to paint her face. It just, like, like as I told you, it's amazing stories there. It's like life and love at that place. And um, I hope we, we are planning to do like a documentary about art from Guantanamo, one of them, my project. And then second project will be inshallah, a uh, book about life after Guantanamo, try to still like it's the extent of Guantanamo, try to show how people the life after Guantanamo. And uh, I hope I will manage to get them done. Just wish me luck. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're all waiting excitedly for that. Also, I'm so glad that you mentioned that story about um, all the songs and poetry and everything. Cause I, I was remembering that you were telling me about that when we were speaking a few weeks ago and I was a, I was a little sad. So I was gonna prompt you to um, say that, to mention that anyway, but- um, It's not just that. I remember, you know, the guards become part of our life there. We were first of all, like, I remember we have a really beautiful, uh, good singer. who so has like beautiful voice. One of the guards used to come tell your brother to sing for me the song. They didn't, they didn't know the words. They would say the tone. Na, 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 na. I said, okay. Hey, Bahar, can you please sing? Or like, who's the guard? He said, okay. This is like, oh my, it's so beautiful. Bahar, singer, he said, look, anyone asked for the sing, I will sing for him because I know someone who has trouble in his heart. So that was, you know, those small moments, you know, not only the Chinese were a victim of Guantanamo, even guards and campus staff, they were also victims of Guantanamo. Guantanamo was a machine. So those small moments like uh, finding beauty and, and uh, in those small moments, like transport you out of Guantanamo, a song, you know, a painting, you know, uh, a, a poet, it just, you try to find beauty and joy in the small, in the, those small moments that people take for granted every day. Trust me, like seeing daylight, seeing the beautiful blue sky, hearing someone call you with your own name because they call you 441 or whatever, they like those things teach, teach you how to appreciate life. Uh, Mansoor, uh, how, can, how can people keep in contact with you? How can supporters follow you and keep updated on your work and contributions? Yes, I think first of all, I think Hadia, you should uh, have another interview with me after we, after we publish the book. <laughs> Secondly, I think uh, yes, I like I have a website, it's mansourdaifi.com, and Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I always like do some like update people there, and sometimes post about art from Guantanamo and updating people about my project and so on. And I hope we can manage to get the, the, the TV show with the sun that's done and you'll love it.
Amazing. Um, yeah, and, and in fact, I was going to go right to that anyway. Um, so if you want to learn more about Mansoor, you can go to his website that he mentioned, mansooradefi.com. That's M-A-N-S-O-O-R-A-D-A-Y-F-I.com. Um, and he's also on all major media, social media platforms. And you can also follow the work of um, the Justice for Muslims Collective um, on social media platforms. Like for example, on Instagram, they are at Justice for Muslims Collective. Um, and Maha, if you can mention, I, I'm sorry, I know you also have a site. Um, are there any other websites you wanted to, to plug real quick? Um, I always forget what it is. <laughs> okay. Um, it's just a site that has uh, all of my um, op-eds that I've written. So it's muckrack, which is M-U-C-K-R-A-C-K dot com backslash Maha, M-A-H-A dash Hilal, H-I-L-A-L. Amazing. Thank you. que llega con la marea como el perfume de una flor en primavera como el murmullo del arroyo en su ribera tocaste tú mi corazón de mil maneras bordando mis sueños meciéndome con tu canto dejando migajas en el Welcome back. What you just listened to was Mariposas Blancas by Omar Portuondo. You're listening to Working Class Heroes Radio on WBAI 99.5 FM. Also streaming on WBAI.org, SoundCloud, and all podcast platforms. We're really honored to have had Mansoor and Maha as guests on our show and hope that if you haven't already, you'll join the fight to finally close Guantanamo Bay. Now, to switch gears and wrap up this episode. As I mentioned at the beginning, the Working Class Heroes crew is taking a couple months break from community radio. We started our show exactly one year ago. This has been our Class War in COVID-19 series. So much of our vision for the series and our media collective as a whole has been to give a platform to silence voices. And we're really happy that we've been able to do that here at WBAI. But we're also looking forward to having a quick break, breathing space, and coming back refreshed, recharged, and with more stories. In the meantime, we're going to keep being at protests, covering them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, where you can find us at Working Class Heroes Radio. In addition, please check out our website at wchradio.org and sign up for a newsletter so you can stay in the loop with what we're up to. We're all out of time for tonight. 
Thank you so much for tuning in and being on this wild ride with all of us. Shout out to Khadija for this incredible interview, Danny and Julian's work on producing this episode, and shout out to the rest of our crew. Mel for all of his thoughtful contributions and chill hosting vibes, Yanni for her incredible graphic design and behind-the-scenes support, Leah for her all-around support, including research, writing, and editing, Adan and Franceli for their incredible movement coverage on all of our social media platforms, and our new member, Mani Perilla, who we're excited to continue to build with, as well as our former members who helped us get here and we'll never forget, Brenda and Carlos. We hope you're doing all right. I'd also like to thank our wonderful engineer for today, Catherine, as well as our usual engineer, Gio, who couldn't be here today. Both are incredible engineers that we were lucky to work with. New York, we'll catch you next time. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and as always, in solidarity. In my last day for that honey glaze Clay brown, escalate Lace, Sonata, amazing grace And your mans I'm pacing the lands To paradise, rock city, the fans And I never seen that sunshine coming When I put a period on the summertime I'm one rhyme from it Avalanche rocking the dance, eternally stacking cheddars the plan. When I'm back to the essence, black, I'm blessing rhymes in the session without a question, no doubt. Some we repping the beautiful thing, black magic, beautiful strength, pushing a fake vinyl, roasting with the beautiful strength. I've always been crazy. Got that dirty rock celebration for 30 rock to your delegation. I'm uptown fresh, puffing the elevation, Philly blunt and outline glow. We back up in the spot, bottle rock and ragtime flow, and clap a halftime show. We better wins in the street. When sunny days spit the sunshine, the streets is amazing.